Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the shiny new things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Janet Gunter. Hi. So, Janet, uh, today we have an interesting show, uh, starting from some more or less complicated repair and upgrade, and then moving in with some interesting news from the world. We'll be talking about conflict minerals, and we'll be talking about peak consumption, as they call it, which we are a little bit questioning in our thinking. And then we'll talk, as usual, about some upcoming exciting events uh, that are happening in the next week here in London and elsewhere. So let's start with some repair news uh, based on your recent experiences this week. You've been busy... I have been. I so I have been fearing the upgrade, the OS upgrade. Um, I'm not going to confess how what version of the Mac OS I was running before. <clears throat> um, yeah, <laughs> let's suffice it to say I missed my opportunity to upgrade to Yosemite um, uh, earlier, and I'd been hearing about this new one, El Capitan. You know that you know I every time they do one of those big Mac events, you know you see some. People really excited about the new OS, and I kind of, I can't help but roll my eyes a little bit. I know, I know that there are some improvements. Like I know that photo, the photo thing had gotten better. You were complaining a lot about photos in the past. Yeah, I have been. Okay, so but I'd been slightly kind of putting this off, and also because my 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 philosophy is very much like leave good enough alone. You know, like I, I was perfectly happy with the performance of my machine. Um, however, yeah, uh, there are security concerns, and I, I just put this off way too long. Um, and so so you, we could say that you were still using one of those operating systems with a big yeah. cat. Let's put uh, yeah, it that okay, way. Yeah. And now and, you have a shiny mountain. I got mountain. told off by enough people, and I said, okay, yeah, it's true. Um, it's not safe. So, yeah, so now I'm, uh, now I'm on top of, yes, a shiny rock-faced mountain, El Capitan, which has been called by some people El Crapitan. <laughs> um, and the upgrade itself was not so painful. You know, I, I backed up the, the data, took me maybe a half an hour. But what I was dreading was like all the other things that would go wrong. So, you know, will the printer drivers work? You know, will I have problems with some of the maybe legacy uh, applications that I quite like? Um, and actually, all of that was quite smooth. Um, and I was just waiting for, you know, like, what's the thing? You know, now I've got this nice flat design interface. Um, I haven't played with the, the fe- you know, the, the features that are supposed to be really cool. Um, yeah, iTunes seems okay. My old Skype, which I also refuse to update, is okay still. Um, but Bluetooth, Stopped. Bluetooth went, and I was like, this is kind of a, you, you realize when things break, like, what are the deal breakers? So, right. um so what happens? Like you can yeah. no longer use Bluetooth. Well, so I first noticed because I really like to. Um, I have an old. I think we talked about. It, I have this re- great old amp that I've put a little Bluetooth receiver on, and I like to listen to music from my laptop when I'm when I'm at home. Um, you know, uh, transmitting through Bluetooth from my computer. 
And I noticed it started getting, it's really funny, it was almost like listening to the radio. It started kind of like getting choppy, kind of cutting out, and not in a way that I'm used to with like problems with, you know, like flaky Wi-Fi. I, I, I knew it was not actually an interference problem. It's some kind of weird software preferences, you know, related problem with Bluetooth. And of course, what did I do? I do what you do is you go, you go on the internet and look, you know, search Bluetooth El Capitan. And lo and behold, this is a really well-documented problem. I'm um, sure they'll be fixing it. Well, so here's the thing. And I, you know, the reason I did the upgrade is because they'd already done, you know, like the, the patch. So they released the new OS and then they released the kind of the patch to me, to, to tidy up all of the... Fixing the fixes, yeah. basically. Um, and so I released, I, so I downloaded that one and I was expecting this to have been dealt with, but um, no, apparently not. And God only knows. I mean, Bluetooth is an ancient, isn't it a fairly ancient protocol? And yeah, it's been improving over years. So it's okay, more but a lot of reliable. people complain about it. But the point is, well, a lot of people are dependent on it, not just for audio. So I saw people complaining about, um, you know, not being able to use mice, yeah. uh, Bluetooth mice or keyboards. And imagine what that would do to your productivity. Um, in fact, I had to do some fiddling to get my to get my um, uh, configuration at work to work um, mm. using a keyboard and a mouse. Um, but yeah, this thing with the audio is a killer because, you know, it it takes away like one of the major, you know, one of the kind of, well, most pleasurable parts of having a laptop and having configured my house in this way. Yeah, which um, by the way, let's remember, given that mm. we like to reuse things and give them a new lease of life, you know, most people might think that if you have an old amp, That means you need mm -hmm. a new one so that you can plug your I think sure. to it and well, it, you no don't doubt, really need I that. mean, you can only imagine Apple's trying to promote its, what's it called? The, the Apple uh, the Apple version of Wi-Fi, the, what's the, I don't even know. They have their own little protocol you can play music through stereos. Oh, yeah, Air, like, Air play, something, whatever. The point is, like, you know, I didn't choose that and I don't want to be forced to choose that. Um So hopefully they'll deal with it. At we'll least see. your laptop doesn't seem to be performing slower. No, it's which... doing well. But, but I and I've tried all the fixes. Um, you know, there are numerous fixes for this allegedly for this um, Bluetooth problem, but not none of them have stuck. So they've worked temporarily, and then that choppy audio problem keeps coming back. Hmm. So, well, I had a very different repair. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, experience this week and uh, it's actually an issue that I go over and over again at our events but also in my personal life so um, at the recent event someone brought a phone that is completely has a completely destroyed screen the phone still works and it's about two years old and this person really loves her phone the new phones tend all to be so big and bulky and she's quite happy with a 4.3 i believe inch screen which is good enough to do a lot of things and it fits in your pocket nicely so she went to a corner shop a little store where they claimed to be able to repair the device and they mm. quoted her 80 pounds for that job and she decided to wait seems given that it still a, works it still yeah, it works seems steep for an old phone as well yeah yeah but the problem is obviously there is no way to know whether that shop has ever done that very model it's not a very common phone or at least it's What not what brand is it Go it ahead. is an HTC uh, okay. one mini M4, I believe, wow, okay. which, funny enough, we did a bit of research online and it turns out that it has at least five other names 
the same exact phone, mm. which makes looking for a spare part, which is what I'd like to share our frustration about, even more complicated. So we we told her, okay, well, let's first have a look and uh, at the repairability score of that device on uh, iFixit, which is a website where a lot of um, devices are taken apart to see whether they are repairable or not. And there was an, an official guide, but someone had posted there a guide on how you might be able to replace the screen, and it didn't seem too complicated. Oh, so you think, okay, well, maybe it's let's so an do okay it. phone. HTC mm. has a very bad reputation for making their devices almost impossible to even open, and that you will most likely break yeah. the device. Um, so we said, okay, well, it's definitely worth trying. But so how to go about finding a part? So we looked at shops in London that we know are good, provide a good service in terms of repair. And none of the ones that we knew of offer a repair for that phone. That's the problem with the Android ecosystem, isn't it? Like it's it's just there's so it's so diverse. There's so many different devices. You're never going to be able to. Yeah. In terms of the expertise that a, a shop has to develop in order to do it mm. in a professional way, you know, like if you're doing a community repair event, people will have a go, uh, hopefully very sensibly. But if you have a shop, you can't just always have a first every time someone brings a device that's not an iPhone or a Samsung or perhaps a Sony, but even those, they're not that well supported. And so we started looking on eBay for, for parts. So that's the alternative. And uh, there comes the next dilemma. So how to find a good spare part on eBay. And so we started looking, first of all, at the guides to perform that repair. And it turns out that there's different theories about it. And again, that talks about the lack of official manuals. Okay, but so when you say the dilemma about a spare part, so basically it's do I get a dodgy generic one or one secondhand from a f another phone or do I look for an actual um, genuine, part. genuine part? Well, that's part of the dilemma and part of the dilemma is also um, which part should I try to replace? This In this case, the phone only has a shattered glass the rest of the phone still works fine. But doing a bit of research on YouTube, actually, trying to find how did people repair that phone and then share their stories, it turns out that probably it's more sensible to replace the whole I think it's, top frame. Speaking from experience, I think it's almost always more sensible. If, if we're talking about an amateur first-time repair, yeah, just get the full assembly. Don't so, try and deal with the glass separately. And full assembly, for mm. those of you who haven't done this before, uh, means that you don't just replace the glass, but you also replace the full screen. And it comes at times when you're lucky as one part. So it makes the, replace, the replacing the part a bit less complex. And so again... So could you find it? We could find some different ones and then one had the HTC brand on it not that it means that it's an official part the <laughs> yeah. other didn't even have the HTC part okay. the difference in cost was really irrelevant and then we looked at the ratings of that uh, eBay shop and we tried to find one that would seem not to have too many complaints or complaints that were about the speed of shipping and not saying this product was fake or something. So in the end, she 
decided that she's going to buy a special, a certain part and try to do it herself with her boyfriend at home. She's a pretty hands-on person, so she'll have a go. And if she's running into problem, she might visit a future restart party. But that goes to show how complicated all of this is if you are someone who's doing it for the first time and you're not doing it every day as as we are, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, so we like to encourage people before they come to a restart party is to get some advice about sourcing the spare part and we're willing to help with that, especially in relation to mobiles and tablets and things. And if only manufacturers were so kind to publish the official service manual uh, highlighting what is the best way to take apart the device to prevent unnecessary further disasters breaking it. That would be really nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so tell us about where that was, Ugo, because we're gonna. It's gonna lead us into our next uh, conversation. Yeah. So this event actually happened yesterday in Cambridge. We were involved in an event together with Amnesty International, Global Witness, and Wikirate on sourcing um, information about where do multinationals source their conflict materials from. So particularly... No, sourcing where they source the minerals that... I mean, they're not trying to get conflict minerals, correct? Yes. So the story goes that uh, every company uh, obviously needs... In order to manufacture their devices, uh, they need to acquire materials, including rare and not so rare earth materials. And the issue with this is that it's been documented extensively that uh, in a lot of cases, these materials come from uh, parts of the world where wars are happening and that the trading of these minerals fuels uh, the conflict. Yeah, so there's been a lot of attention to what's called conflict minerals. Um, Mostly in the U.S. there's been a huge amount of campaigning. There was some legislation that was brought in a couple of years ago, which is very, we would say, potentially... um, backfiring in some way in the sense that it requires uh, traceability of what uh, and it requires uh, manufacturers to show that their whole supply chain is conflict free when in fact we know that um, it's just basically impossible to source some of these especially uh, coal tan which contains tantalum used in microcapacitors most of that of those um, uh, reserves uh, in DRC are in a conflict ridden area and it's Virtually, I mean, it's really tough to to certify something as conflict-free, entirely conflict-free. Um, so there's, that law has been somewhat controversial in that it's been very strong and almost unrealistic in the expectations that it's put on manufacturers, caused them to also have to invest, which is a good thing, in traceability and documenting their supply chains. Um, but what's interesting about um, with the, w- that that event was they were also trying to draw attention to another mineral, which isn't really a conflict mineral per se. It's cobalt. Um, do you want to tell yeah, us a little bit so about that? Basically, um, at almost at the same time as the event, just a few hours later, Amnesty was presenting a new report um, on cobalt. And cobalt has not been considered until now uh, a conflict mineral in the same way as the so-called 3TG, which are tungsten, tin, tantalum, and gold are. So it's not being covered, for example, by the US legislation in terms of the transparency, the traceability uh, requirements. But um, cobalt actually happens to be present in 
all the lithium batteries that power all of the gadgets that we use, uh, whether we have bought them already or whether we are about to buy them. And then there's a long history of cobalt being used in, in other in other ways in electronics mm-hmm. manufacture as well. So. And actually, compared to the other materials that we've been talking about, actually, cobalt is the one that has the vast majority of the reserves actually based in the DRC. Yeah, it was like we were we were both looking at the um, the, the global reserves of cobalt, and it appears about two thirds of the world reserves are actually in DRC. I believe the Amnesty report said fifty percent of pr- current production comes from DRC. Yeah, and uh, the report basically um, shows that all most of the manufacturers uh, actually use uh, cobalt that comes from this areas. And And, there there is mm -hmm. no real clear information provided by them at this stage about whether it's coming from a conflict uh, area or not. Because it is. Well, but also, and so the main concerns in the report were actually more about child labor and um, and the actual con- working conditions in artisanal mining. Yeah. And um, I think that's something that we generally ignore. I mean, I would say, like, um, artisanal mining is, I, I don't have the figures, but it's still... Uh, it's a large share of gold, world gold production, of, of production of many of, of many different minerals. Um, and I guess the point about artisanal mining is it's this is a really interesting issue because I think it gets to the heart of a lot of, um, the, you know, the, the issues with our global system. Um, so artisanal mining in and of itself is maybe not a bad thing. We could think of it like... Um, you know, it's almost like an, an outgrowing scheme, you know, like the farmers who would grow tobacco and sell it to somebody else. Okay. It's a, in a way it could be seen as that if it were, if, um, if, if there could be regulation and proper standards, yeah, standards proper environmental standards. And um, it, because really in the end of the day, it's in the interest of the big mining companies to actually shut down. Uh, in, in other words, to, to, to turn public opinion against artisanal mining as this kind of awful thing that cannot happen, um, and to well create the conditions under which they can actually go in and invest and control these resources. So, you know, in my previous life in an NGO policy section, this was a really interesting issue that kept kept coming up, and. Um, just to say that, uh, so that, so the cobalt in DRC is not in the biggest area of conflict in DRC. It's actually in a place, it's a province called Katanga. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a very remote province. You can, if you see it on the map, it looks probably like the end of the world in DRC. Um, and actually, interestingly, Katanga province was the province that uh, the Belgians encouraged to rise up against Lumumba at the early stage of independence. And in fact, Patrice Lumumba's death, uh, his the anniversary of his death we celebrated two That's days sweet. ago. 55 years ago, he was killed in Katanga province. Um, and there was an element of mining interest involved in that intrigue and, of course, a whole Cold War history. Um, um, but, but just to say that um, the issues around cobalt production and how to actually make it fair and make it work for everyone, they're not going to be solved by a very simple campaign of or course. by a very simple law. At the same time, it's important that these issues are raised because 
most of us don't really even know that it is children that are not going in the mines, but actually they are sourcing, uh, the sorting, sorting sorry, yeah. the material once it comes out of the, of the mines instead than going to school, for example. So there, it's it's an issue that it's easy to like put aside when you buy and you use or you decide, oh, maybe I should just upgrade my device or even upgrade a battery at this point, yeah. you know, and maybe... Uh, getting an extra six months worth of a battery before you decide, okay, I really need to change it. You just keep in mind what is the bigger yeah, context, well, the, which is so far removed from our direct experience in a shop in the UK or clicking online uh, and that's, to buy. We also like to say that um, you know, ethical being ethical does not just happen at the point of purchase. That being ethical is thinking about how long you're going to use something. Um, you know, and 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 I think when what happens at end of life because cobalt is actually quite recyclable material, um, but also just that notion of um, yeah that, that that there's a there's a physical thing and that your relationship with it has consequences and is linked to all these things. Um, the other interesting thing to point out is uh, that Fairphone, a company we really uh, admire and has done a lot of work on its supply chain and actually really. Uh, storytelling and bringing us closer to people that help produce devices. They have a quite interesting post on uh, co-ops that, quote unquote, co-ops that um, that are artisanal mining co-ops that produce this uh, cobalt. And all of the environmental and child labor issues aside, um, even the way in which um, these alleged co-ops work and they deal with middlemen is quite unfair. And they're they're, they're very upfront about that in a way. Um, uh, so it's just I think it's really important to kind of connect the dots and to see see and our be able to make a more informed decision every time we do make a decision. Yeah, absolutely. So we are still restart radio on resonance 104.4 uh, FM. Uh, moving on, another bit of news that really caught our attention this week was a statement uh, by um, the head of sustainability at IKEA, or IKEA, as I learned, is actually pronounced officially, um, saying that we have reached peak consumption um, of things like the furniture that they manufacture, and yet they foresee growing massively their sales and profits between now and 2020. Now, how is this possible, Janet? Well, okay, so I I have a couple of conflicting feelings about that. Um, uh, obviously, the way it was reported, you know, is certain. It's kind of tokenistic peak consumption. It's a bit I'm, like uh, when Patagonia says, "Don't buy this jacket." Yeah, m- maybe. Although I feel like Patagonia is ever so slightly more sincere about that. But I mean, uh, in terms of creating yeah, a campaign that sure. will create bring more attention. And I heard, um, like, I heard this ecologist actually responding to this. Um, he was saying, "Well, actually, or was he? He may have been an economist, but what he knew about ecology, and he was saying that actually, peak oil is it's referring to natural resources. Like, it's it's this idea that there is a limited amount and a scarce amount." And and that we we will confront you know this barrier whereas i mean you can't really argue that like our our consumption or our desire to consume is limited or has that natural uh, constraint in fact yeah. um and so he said it's kind of a it's kind of a silly thing to say. i mean he would call it like market saturation as opposed right. to peak consumption um but it's an interesting idea that um Okay, that IKEA will, they did say also in the same announcement, that they would invest more in repairable and reusable, uh, you know, products, which from our perspective is really interesting and um, 
if they're sincere about that, in other words, if they're sincere about um, selling us less. Or maybe selling us a spare part us, when we break the yeah, furniture. Yeah, or selling us services. Um, that's excellent. We can't, I mean, we've got nothing in a sense to critique. Now, the, for me, the main issue also was, uh, the, part of the subtext of that piece was, we've reached peak consumption in the West. At I don't, home. At no. home. And I don't know if, if, if other people picked up on that, but, you know, I'm... I hate to make the parallel, but I'm reminded of like what t- tobacco companies said, you know, say, right? Which is, or, or Coca-Cola or any of these big companies, which is, okay, we saturated these markets. Let's move to the places where they don't have, where they're not sick of us yet. Um, and the question is like, can, we know that our planet can sustain um, the, our, our lifestyle here uh, spread over the rest of the world. In fact, the world can't even sustain our lifestyle here. Um, now we're not we're not going to go out and say that like I mean do you you probably have friends who live in the global south as it were that finally got access to IKEA and I, actually it's really funny I have a friend who who lives um, in a, con- a dusty country at the end of the world and she was able to you know mail order IKEA and it was like a big thing for her w- what am I going to say I can't I can't knock it yeah. but but it's an interesting question um, and actually the question about whether this is going to turn us turn the whole world into a throw away society for furniture or whatever other product or if indeed they're going to try to promote this let's repair and reuse furniture or whatever other product across the world well, that's, that's the, the, the question that's my question too and my question also with you know we've talked about apple apple uh, refurbishing iPhones and selling them on in secondary markets It's like, well, what happens with that phone in the secondary market? Or or what happens to, um, is there a loop created within the secondary market itself? Like for the people who are buying the iPhone 6 in Russia, are there, you know, are, 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 is the loop happening in Russia? And is the recycling happening, happening there as well? Yeah, and it's interesting because in our experience, it's not so much that the West can go and explain or share their beautiful solutions going forward to the rest of the world, but it's more that we can learn from the global south how to reframe the way we approach consumption and repair. Um, And that's what we learned at the very beginning of our journey with the Restore Project, uh, that actually the patterns of consumption and the relationship with objects happening elsewhere should inform the way we look at our relationship with things. And surveys actually show that, and I've been really interested by these surveys, that that consumers or citizens of the Global South are actually much more concerned with sustainability and sustainable consumption. This is really fascinating. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, to to close on this Mm -hmm. uh, before we move on to upcoming events, we wanted to play a very short extract from an interview we did uh, back in 2012 with Efrain Ngali, who is a mobile repair uh, expert in Nairobi, Kenya. Um, And uh, he had something interesting and inspiring to say to people in the UK. Uh, As you said, like in UK, they don't repair phones. It's a challenge to them. They should start doing that. They should keep themselves busy also. No, it's job creating. Yeah. Yeah, we should keep ourselves busy with what we already have. That's what Ephraim said back then, and it still makes sense 
years later and yeah. we're trying to do our part but there's a much bigger ecosystem that really needs to to change so janet um quite a lot of activities happening in the next few days in london and abroad yes um we've got um our first women's skills share of the year but men it's a special time a special limited offer you're allowed to come to this one and um, we're having a sewing machine maintenance uh, Skillshare at 11 a.m. at the Redmond Community Center. Um, and we'll be, um, you can find out details on our website, therestartproject.org. But um, we'll, be, we'll be learning about how to maintain sewing machines and doing a little bit of mending. There'll be a restart party where anyone can bring any broken electronic thing um, at the same place. Um, that's this Saturday at 11 a.m. In Hackney. In Hackney. Um, and then we'll be having a, a restart party for Blue Monday, or one of the very many Blue Mondays of January uh, on Monday, the 25th, in Kilburn. Um, the details on our website as well, therestartproject.org. And uh, actually, I forgot to mention, yes, the first uh, restart party in Portugal will be happening for those of you who might be headed to the Algarve um, in Lagos on Saturday. Um, and that's pretty exciting. That's very exciting to see that the network is growing in new countries and it, there seems to be a thing about all the countries in the Mediterranean are picking up very quickly about uh, the importance of repairing. Definitely. I mean, it seems quite appropriate given all the financial constraints and otherwise. And yeah. um, there's also just a great tradition of, of hacking and repairing and making in those countries, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So this is all for this week. Uh, this was Restart Radio. Uh, thank you for listening. You can find out more about the Restart Project online at therestartproject.org or Twitter and Facebook at Restart Project. Thank you and more next week. Bye bye.